0: Exodus 25, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them gold and silver and brass. And blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and i heard a preacher say the other day this next word is pronounced shatim so i'll i'll i'm going to go with that instead of my shy to tim uh, well, i will uh, i i know some of y'all like it, pronouncing these words that you're not allowed to say, but I I just, I don't, I can't do that, so. And shatim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I want you to make me a sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And they shall make an ark of shatim wood, two cubits and a half, shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half, the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make it make upon it a crown of gold round about, and shalt thou shalt cast four images four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and the two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other again verse number eight, he said, I want you to make this sanctuary because I want to dwell among you. I want my presence to be manifested among you. I want to preach to you tonight about the blessing of his presence. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we have felt here tonight. I pray, God, that as we embark upon this next week and we focus on your presence, engaging your presence in a fresh new way, I pray that there would be fresh revelation and understanding that would come to us, God, that we might experience in a whole new way the benefits and the blessings and the privilege of your presence in our lives, God. What we can so easily take for granted if we're not careful, we become so used to it, God. I I pray that you would renew a reverence and an appreciation for us, in us, for your presence this week. Father, I pray that you would speak tonight in this place, God. I don't want to preach a sermon. I want to be a messenger to deliver a word that would come from you. I trust you for your anointing tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I know that many of you tonight are aware of the fact that there's a lot of very significant things about the tabernacle. There's a lot of things about it that were intended to be patterns and types and shadows of what was to come. And God was very specific with Moses about this tabernacle. He did not leave it up to Moses to build it the way that Moses wanted to build it, the size, the shape, the colors, the the uh, furniture that Moses wanted to put in it, God said, I, I want you to do it according to the pattern that I give you. I want you to follow my pattern because I, I want a place to be my sanctuary. I, I want a place where I can meet with you. And as you and I are aware of tonight, that was not God's ultimate goal to have a tabernacle in the wilderness. Ultimately, it was all pointing to you and I as the temple where God now dwells. And so, and some of you have been in conversations one-on-one with Brother Yu. Some of you have sat in classes with Brother Yu. Brother Yu is is an expert when it comes to the tabernacle. He is he is the resident expert at Antioch on the tabernacle, all things tabernacle. The rest of us feel like, or I'll, well, I won't speak with you, I feel like a novice compared to Brother Yu. I, I've got some understandings of it, but I know Brother Yu knows it inside and out and i would love to take time this evening to talk about the whole thing and all of that it represents but in the context of today and this week i want to focus on that one piece of furniture the ark of the covenant and i want you to see at the outset of this message if i could try to remind some of you or maybe others of you would learn a little bit tonight about the significance of what it represented. And now what that means to you and I, or or the blessing that you and I now have today, that it's not about a box or a piece of furniture that is inside of some kind of dwelling place made by man's hands, but ultimately what that represented in the Spirit of God that was manifested in the Ark of the Covenant and above the Ark of the Covenant is now what dwells inside of you and I. I want to read to you just a couple of commentaries. They'll do a better job than me of trying to explain a few things about the Ark First, Adam Clark says this, the ark was the most excellent of all the holy things which belong to the mosaic economy. And for its sake, for its sake, I, I have a question. Any of you, uh, any of you that are in, into interior design, is there any of you that you, you went and picked furniture and then went and found a house for the furniture? You usually go and find furniture to fit the house. You move into the house first. You pick the house first. But listen to this last statement Adam Clark says, With regards to the ark, For its sake, the tabernacle and the temple were built. The ark wasn't built for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was built for the ark. The ark wasn't built and then let's decide what... Excuse me, the, the tabernacle wasn't built and then let's decide what we're going to put in it. God was creating all of that for the ark. The pulpit commentary says this, Moses is first shown, not the pattern of the tabernacle, but the pattern of those things which it was to contain: the ark, the table of showbread, and the seven-branched candlestick or lamps, lampstand with its appurtenances. The ark, as the mo- as the very most essential part of the entire construction is described first. The ark, as the most essential part of the entire construction, is described first. Because it doesn't matter what the dwelling place is. It doesn't matter what the size and the looks and the dimensions of the dwelling place are. If you don't have the presence, it's not worth it. If you don't have the presence of God to occupy the dwelling place, there's not really a point in the dwelling place. The teacher's commentary says this, When, when, What then was the ark and what did it speak of? The ark itself was a gold-covered chest containing special reminders of God's work for His people. There was a container of manna speaking of complete and miraculous provision. There was, there were the tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written speaking of the righteousness God alone can produce. Later, there was added Aaron's rod, which miraculously budded and bore fruit, speaking of God's power to bring life from the dead. I, I just thought of something when my wife was talking about the ark and what was in it I've never thought of before, and I'm sure there's something really to this, and I intend to dig into it some, and some of you may have already got it and already know, but when they collected the manna in the wilderness, they were only allowed to get enough for the day. And if you gathered enough for today and tomorrow, what you gathered for tomorrow would rot and I think turn into worms if I remember. But not that pot. I don't know what all that's about, but there's something there and I'm going to find it out. And if you got an idea, you can let me know after church what track to get. But there's something about the fact that all that other manna rotted because you weren't supposed to store it. But that manna that rotted under all the other circumstances, when it was inside the ark in that container, it didn't rot. The ark itself was named of the covenant. The ark of the covenant. A reminder of God's commitment to fulfill all His promises. Oh man, we, we, need to, we need to talk about the significance of the covenant relationship that you entered into when you were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You weren't just getting in a dating relationship. You weren't even just getting in an engagement. You entered into a covenant relationship with the ultimate one that's going to keep his side of the covenant. On the ark rested a special cover overlaid with gold and called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. The, old, the ark was overlaid with gold and there was a mercy seat. It's interesting that perhaps what's the most visible thing of that ark is called the mercy seat. And the enemy wants us, when we fail and make mistakes, to run from the presence of God. Why should we run from mercy? Why would? Why should we run from the grace and the mercy of God? God's presence is about mercy. Uh, hallelujah. On the ark rested a special cover overlaid with gold and called the mercy seat. Here between two carved angels whose wings met over the center of the mercy seat, God invested the fullness of His own presence. And it was here alone that God fully touched man. You understand that what we have so freely experienced in this sanctuary tonight, in that day when God was giving instruction to Moses to build this, there was only one person, one time every year, that got to get as close to God as you and I got tonight. How in the world can we walk in and out of the presence of God? And treated so casually and so haphazardly when there was a point in time that millions of people could not get to what you and I can get to. Not just here in this sanctuary, but in your house, in your car, on your job, anywhere. It was here alone. That God fully touched men. Lastly, Barnes Notes says this about the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was the central point of the sanctuary. The Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, was the central point of the sanctuary. It was designed to contain the testimony, that is, the tables of the divine law, the terms of the covenant between Yahweh and His people, and it was to support the mercy seat with its cherubim, from between which He was to hold communion with them. On this account, in these directions for the construction of the sanctuary, it is named first of all the parts. I, I, I want you to hear this. Get this. It is named first. But on the other hand, in the narrative of the work, it was actually carried out as, as it was actually carried out. We find that it was not made until after the tabernacle. Exodus 37, one through nine. It was mentioned First, but it was built last. The place for it to be put and everything necessary to get to it was built first. And then the ark. It was suitable that the receptacle should be first provided to receive and shelter the most sacred of the contents of the sanctuary as soon as it was completed. Mm-mm-mm. The order in which the works were executed seems to be given in Exodus thirty-one seven through ten and Exodus thirty-five eleven through nineteen. The completion of the ark is recorded in Exodus thirty-seven one through five. The tabernacle and all of the other instruments of the tabernacle were built first. They were in place. First before the ark which represented the presence of God was built, there had to be a place for the ark to be put. Mm. A couple of you a couple of you are getting it. He doesn't show up first. We prepare first. The same way in which the tabernacle and all of the instruments were built first and then the presence of God showed up is the same way it's done today. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive. Some of you want God to come show up in your life and you've made no preparations as a sanctuary. You've made no preparations for a dwelling place. If you want God to show up, you gotta give God some place to show up. You wanna engage in His presence this week? You might need to do some house cleaning. You want to engage in His presence this week, you might need to let some things go. You want to engage in His presence this week, there may need to be some things that you get out of your life once and for all. Not just for a couple of days, not just for a couple of weeks, not just for a couple of months, but there's some things you see the first place before you could ever get to the ark, once the tabernacle was completed, the first thing you encountered was an altar. Something had to die. There's too many people that want to get to the presence and experience the presence and the power of God without things in their lives dying first. And the first and foremost thing that really needs to die in your life and my life is not my will, but your will be done. Oh, Jesus. I said it this morning, and let me just say it again quickly tonight. I won't take as much time as I did, but I'm not here tonight preaching to you about the presence of God in some nice, flaky little way we experience it. I'm talking about the abiding presence. I'm talking about the kind of presence that if you weren't properly prepared to get in the presence, you could lose your life. We can come in and go freely in and out of the presence of God, carrying our junk and not lose our lives because we're in a new covenant. The Bible says on the day that Jesus died, the veil, we just sang it, the veil was torn I think the symbolism of that veil being torn is when Jesus died on that cross, God was no longer limited to a room somewhere behind a veil. What He had been because God, just as much as humanity may wanted to experience God, God wanted to touch humanity. But He was stuck and confined. But when that veil was torn, what had been locked up for years and years and years was now free to go to. Kind of like the father when the prodigal son came home. The father didn't sit and wait on the porch for the son to get all the way to the porch. When the father was sitting there and looking, saw ways off as the son was coming. He's the Bible says he got up and he ran to the son. I believe on that day when that veil was torn, the mercy of God was released to go throughout the earth and find every sinner, find every back. find every broken, wounded person and bring mercy to them. But let me tell you, just because the veil was torn to provide access for everyone did not mean that the pattern to get there changed. Problem is, we now come and go freely in and out of the presence of God without stopping by the altar. I wonder how differently we would approach the presence of God, whether, again, a church service, a care group, oikos gathering, a prayer meeting, whatever. I wonder how differently we would approach coming in if we knew, if I wasn't in the condition I, might, I, the condition I need to be in, I may fall over dead in church. I'm oh boy, I'm pretty sure most of you wouldn't have a problem with punctuality if you knew. I need to stop by someplace and repent before I get in His presence. I got a feeling some of you'd be a little more motivated to give more than you normally give if you knew. If I don't please Him, I might not make it through the night. But now we've got His mercy, and oh, that's such a it is a wonderful thing. But that doesn't mean we should treat his presence with any less value because we now have free access. Moses, the one that God's giving these instructions to, to build this tabernacle, God is, this is still, this is still the beginning stages of Israel coming out of Egypt. They've yet to Get God angry. They're, they're not in the, they're, they're not in the place yet where they're now wandering because of unbelief. They haven't gotten there yet. This is all a part of the initial journey. I want you to listen to this, this conversation between Moses and the Lord, Exodus 33 and 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore... I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, the Lord said, my presence, my presence shall go with you. And I will give you rest. But look at what Moses' response to the Lord is. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? I I hear you, Lord, telling me that you're going to go with us, but here's how I feel about you going with us. If you don't, Go with us. I don't want to go. Thank you, Lord, for the promise you're going to go with us. I appreciate the promise you're going to go with us. But let's get something else straight. I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. I'm glad to know that you're promising me you will go, but I also want you to know that's not an option. You go buy a new car, most of them have optional equipment. And if you've got a limited budget, you may end up buying the vehicle you want, but having to settle without options, because you can't afford them. But you still buy the car because it's an option. Oh God, help us to not consider the presence of God as optional equipment. It's not an option for us to gather together as we've done here tonight And not have his presence. It's not an option for us to go into a place of prayer, whether that's individually or some kind of a group setting and not have his presence. It's not an option just to go through the motions and say we put in our time. We did what we were supposed to do. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that you feel the same way Moses felt. God, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything if I'm going to do it without your presence. I want to know that wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, that you are with me. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. It's not good enough just to come in and out of his presence here. It's not good enough to just come in and out of his presence in some some planned setting, some ministry setting. There's got to be a desire inside of us that says, in fact, I don't want to just come in and out of His presence. I want to know that I am living and abiding in His presence. And as I said this morning, yes, God is omnipresent. He fills all space. He fills all time. But there's a difference between God's omnipresence and you being connected with that presence. God and you have having each other's attention. Not the same thing. If they were, why is the world in the condition it's in? If it's good enough that God's presence is everywhere, why is the world in the condition that it's in? Because it's not just about His presence. It's about the fact that you and I are doing what we need to do to connect with His presence. And it's about the fact that you and I make up our minds, I refuse to live without the presence of God in my life. I wonder how many of us, if we were being really truthful and honest with ourselves and the Lord would have to acknowledge there's some things we participate in that God's not with us. That at the, at the very least, I'll say it this way, the manifested presence of God is not with us. Activities we involve ourselves in, things we watch, things we read, things we listen to that conflict because He's a holy God. There is nothing in this world worth sacrificing the presence of God for. Oh God, give us the attitude of Moses. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to participate in anything that your presence can't go with me. David seemed to have some hungers and desires for things that really he had no right to at the point in time that he lived. His passion for God, his passion for the presence of God, his desire to fellowship with God the way he expressed was not something to be had yet, really. And yet he lived with a hunger and a desire. And in fact, to me, that's a part of what got him to be selected to be king was his hunger and passion for God. He became anointed king, if I understand correctly, somewhere around 17 years old when he was anointed. But then, years, years before he sat on the throne, as God prepared him, as God developed him, God will pretty much always give you a taste of what He has for you before it's time for you to receive it. Sorry, as a couple of you you've heard this one-on-one recently. (laughs) God will, God's pattern is to give you a taste of where you're going long before it's time to get there. And the problem is we often misunderstand and we get a taste of something and we think it's now time for us to have it fully. And it's not time. There is a process that God is going to take you and I through from the time He calls us or anoints us until the time we now experience the fulfillment. And there's a lot of people that receive the anointing or the calling but never make it to the fulfillment. Because they're not willing to go through the process that it takes to get them there. And so David is anointed to be the king of Israel. But he doesn't sit on the throne for years and years later. And the story that I'm about to read to you, you can find it in Chronicles where I'm going to read it from. I also read a portion from Samuel where you can find the same story. In Samuel, it's found, the parallel passage to what I'm about to read is found in 2 Samuel 6. In 2 Samuel 5, it's where it talks about David now sitting on the throne. He has now officially become the king of Israel. And I want you to listen to this. This is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is, this is with regards to when David became king. The Bible knowledge commentary says for 100 long years, the Ark of the Covenant had been separated from the Tabernacle and other places of worship. After its capture by the Philistines at Aphek, it remained in Philistia for seven months, then briefly at Bethshemus, and the rest of the time at Kiriath-Jerim. Now David had taken Jerusalem, a neutral place, and made it the political capital of the kingdom. All that remained was to retrieve the ark place it in the tabernacle he would erect on Mount Zion and declare Jerusalem the religious center of the nation as well. A hundred years, the most valuable possession the children of Israel had had been taken. Saul, in his reign, did nothing to get the ark. Saul put forth no effort. To get the ark back from the Philistines. But essentially, immediately, chapter 5, he becomes king. Chapter 6, the first thing David does is go after the ark. What good is a kingdom... What good is a king ordained by God if you don't have the presence of God? What good is a title or a position if you don't have the presence of God manifested with your title and your position? Hallelujah. So I want you that there's really something really great and positive and powerful that I'm gonna to get to and many of you know this story. But I think there's some lessons to be learned in this as well. 1st Chronicles 13 beginning with verse number 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in the cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again, the ark of our god to us for we inquired not at it in the days of saul we we, we no, nobody ever thought about we need the ark while saul was king nobody ever nobody ever had a plan or a desire to say we can't keep living without the ark we got to have the ark and all the congregation said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up, and all Israel to Bala, that is, Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a... New cart. Somebody say a new cart. Out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Kind of interesting that everything was going okay until they got to the threshing floor. threshing floor is a place of separation. The threshing floor is a place of sifting. When they got to the threshing floor, the way they had been doing it, it got disturbed and the ark was about to fall. When they came under the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Because according to God's instructions to Moses, you don't touch the ark. You don't put your hands on it. It's carried, I don't know exactly how much of an identical replica it is, but in principle, you saw the way they carried it in here. They had these staves, these rods that were put forth, put through the rings. That's the way the ark was instructed by God to be carried. I want it to be born on the priest's shoulders. Watch this, David, as great of a man as David was, he comes up with a new idea. A new way, a new gimmick. You know, who, who who's to say we gotta have four guys, six guys, whatever it was, carrying it? You know, I mean it'd be a lot easier. Be a lot more convenient to just build a cart for it. And then just roll the cart. And the sad thing is, Uzzah lost his life. And it really wasn't his fault. He was trying to do a good thing. But a leader, a leader who chose to do God's work his way, put followers in danger. Better be careful if you start following somebody that's got a new cart. It's figured it out a new, you know what? We don't have to do this the way we used to do this. But what, what did the word from God say today? His principles, patterns will not change. His laws and statutes will remain the same. But David decided we can do it a better way. We can do it a fancier, nicer way. And it cost Uzzah his life. Now watch this. This is what's so amazing. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David gets upset, but David's the one who chose to ignore the pattern that God had established. Bible exposition commentary says this with regards to this 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 story here. David's first attempt failed miserably because the Levites didn't carry the Ark on their shoulders. God had given specific direction through Moses how the tabernacle was to be erected, dismantled, and transported, and the major pieces of furniture were to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites who descended from Kohath. When they used a new cart drawn by oxen, they were following the pattern of the pagan Philistines, not the... pattern given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We don't need some leadership guru from the secular world teaching the children and the people of God how we're supposed to operate in the kingdom of God. We don't need to be going out there for how to do what God has instructed us to do in here. The lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. The lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. The fact that all the leaders, oh, but listen, listen, the fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the cart didn't make it right. It didn't matter if everybody with David agreed. Yeah, that's okay. Let's build a cart. Oh God, I pray that the, the precious men and women of God that are a part of Antioch Central, that if I get up here as your pastor and propose to you a new cart that violates a God-given principle, I sure hope you've got enough spiritual wisdom and backbone to say, if that's where you're going, have at it. But that's not where I'm going. See you later. I'm out of here. How many times have Uzzas lost their lives because they willingly followed leaders who decided, you know what? It's not real convenient to, Josh, come back here. Put that one of those back in there real quick, please. It's not really convenient. It's, it's a little bit, uh, uh cumbersome. Actually put, both of them in there. Josh, come back, brother Isaac, come back. Jonathan, come here. Jonathan, come here. Pick it up. Hold it. It's a lot easier. We somebody go. Somebody needs to just go get a dolly. We can put that thing on a dolly and roll it. Go ahead, pick it up. Come on. What y'all waiting on? I, I don't. You don't have to go anywhere. That's all. Right. I don't. I don't know how, he, how, how heavy. Is it very heavy? Of course, it's not. All you, all these single guys up here, are like, nah, it ain't heavy. The married guys, are like, yeah, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> I've already conquered my princess, so it's heavy. <laughs> y'all, you, y'all, well, I, y'all probably can't see it up here. I see the. There's, a, there's a, there's a, like a, like blood pumping, boys. It's bulging. Which way do you want us to go, Bishop? <laughs> it's not convenient. Just, that, that, that's not, that, that, man, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, just think about it. Not only could we have a cart to roll it on, but I bet you, I mean, we've got some skilled people. We could design a pretty good looking cart. We, we could make a fancy cart to roll it on. It be a lot easier than this way. Surely it wouldn't be a big deal if we just decided to change how we transport the presence. And an innocent bystander trying to do a good thing. Uzzah wasn't just trying to violate the Word of God, the laws of God. There was something inside of him that recognized the presence of God is falling. I don't want it to fall. And he lost his life. Thank you. You can put it down. You can leave those in there for now. The church, I last paragraph from the Bible exposition commentary. The church today needs to heed this reminder and return to the Word of God for an understanding of the will of God. No amount of unity or enthusiasm can compensate for disobedience. Oh, God, somebody needs to hear me tonight. Especially if you're listening to voices from out there. Somebody needs to be listening to the Holy Ghost right now. It doesn't matter how many are in agreement with it. It doesn't how many, doesn't matter how many think it's a good idea. If it is contrary to the Word of God, you need to run from it. When God's work is done in man's way and we imitate the world instead of obeying the Word, we can never expect the blessing of God. The crowds may approve what we do, but what about the approval of God? The way of the world is ultimately the way of death. If you don't think I haven't sat at times and thought about, you know what? We could dim the lights. We could redesign the stage. Because apparently that's the thing to do. Not, I'm not trying to be unkind here. And I'm not saying just because somebody redid their stage, they wrong. That's not, that's not what I'm saying i got friends that have redone their platform. That's not my point. But my point is, if you're doing it for the right reasons, okay. But if you're doing it because that's what Elevation does. If you're doing it because that's what Bethel does. If you're doing it because that's what they do at the potter's house or whatever other name, if that's why you're doing it, you might want to double-check what you're copying. Because if you pattern after something that didn't originate from God, you're not going to get God's blessings. You will get the enemy's approval. You think the enemy's going to fight something that's becoming more and more like him? Y'all with me? Y'all done? Y'all... You think the enemy's going to resist? You know what? I, I'm just going to. You, you, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm just going to tell you. I'm pretty sure the devil never shows up to fight their worship services. I'm pretty sure they don't know what it's like to have to grind through sometimes because there is opposition because you don't oppose what is on your side. And I'm talking to some people tonight, either in this room or watching online, or you may watch an archive later. You better watch where you're getting your pattern from, because there's only one place to get your pattern. It's not from what's going on in the world around us. It's not what is now popular in Christianity. It's what is based on the principles of the Word of God. There is a pattern, and we need to stick to the... A pattern. Enough of that. Here we go. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. David was afraid. Verse twelve. David was afraid of God that day, saying, "What? What a look! At, look at this question." No, no offense. And I know we all David's always on the pedestal. But what a dumb question. What? Sorry, kids, you're not allowed to say this, but what a stupid question. How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? What do you mean, David? How shall you bring the ark of God home? You know how the ark of God is supposed to be brought home, but you're going to now have some kind of a little pity party because you tried to do it your way and God didn't approve. And now you're acting like you don't know. Go back to what you know to do. He was afraid of God. He was afraid of God that day. Saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark of, the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that he had. David gets upset with God. David's having a pity party. And so he just sticks the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. But what David missed was, you're putting the presence of God in the house of Obed-Edom. And when you put God in somebody's house, when you put God in your house, you're going to look around and start realizing there's some blessings and there's some things that are happening for one reason and one reason alone. I have become a place for the presence of God to dwell. We're not better than anybody else, but we're also not like everybody else because we've got something in our house that a lot of folks don't have that doesn't make us better than them, and we want them to have it too. But in the meantime, don't miss the significance of what is in your house and the blessings that come from the presence of God in your house. 2 Samuel 6. Again, this is the parallel passage in Samuel of this same story. Watch this. And it was told, King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him. Why? Because the ark of God David, you need to know there's something going on in the house of Obed-Edom. There's something that changed in the house of Obed-Edom. And it's one thing and one reason. The ark, the presence that you put in his house has now caused him to be blessed. And everything that pertains to him. I stand here tonight without a shadow of a doubt that I am living in some of the benefits of the blessings of grandparents and parents who made up their minds. The presence of God is going to be in our house. And so God blessed my parents and what pertained to them. And I now believe that my four kids are being blessed by the presence of God and they pertain to us Oh. Oh, don't miss the significance of just simply having the presence of God in your life. Oh, Jesus. Lord blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that pertained unto him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed Edom into the city of David with gladness. With what? Wait what did, what, what, did, what did Chronicles say? He was he was uh, He was afraid. Fear and gladness don't go together. Fear and gladness don't go together. He was afraid because what he did didn't work and God brought judgment for it. But now, now, he's gone and he's gotten it and he's bringing it back with gladness. Why is he bringing it back with gladness? Because he's now bringing it back the way you're supposed to with the priests. Carrying the presence, not trusting in a gimmick. I'm going to say it again. This is not intended to be a gimmick, to just try to get you out of some slump, out of some kind of lull. I believe with all of my heart, to the best of my ability, this simple word is a rhema from God to us. Because God is more interested in blessing us than we are in wanting Him to bless us. Some of us need to get rid of our carts. Some of us need to get rid of our new methods and our new ways. I've preached it before. I've preached it in different ways. And I'm going to say it again tonight. As long as you're stuck with me for your, with you as your pastor, you better get used to a few things not changing because there's some things that it's not about tradition. It's not about church tradition. It's not about religious tradition. It's not about apostolic Pentecostal, United Pentecostal Church tradition. It's not about those things. It's about this book. And I don't care what the patterns may be today. I don't care what the carts may look like today. I don't want a new cart because I don't want somebody to lose their life because I was looking for an easier way a simpler way I don't mean this to be any reflection on anyone. And I'm going to say it again. I have good friends that will fit what I'm about to say. And so I'm not trying to be disparaging of anybody. I promise to the best of my ability, I'm not. But you know what? If you want to find some place to just go to church one time on a Sunday and have your Sunday evening to yourself, there are apostolic one God churches where you can go and do that. But until God tells us to do that, I'm not looking for a new cart just so that we can get more people happy with me because less is expected. Somebody here, you may know this if you know it. If you know anything close to the exact, please shout it out. But I've I just heard this. I've heard it about Tom Brady, but I just heard LeBron James name mentioned in it. I, I somebody said recently, I overheard someone say recently that Tom Brady spends over a million dollars a year for the care of his body. you want to know why at 43 years old he's still playing and playing effectively because he invests in the tabernacle it may be a tabernacle for the wrong art nevertheless he invests in the tabernacle And the reason why at 43 he's still functioning with the level of effectiveness he is, is because he's not laying around in the off season. He's not eating anything and everything he wants to eat. But he's made up his mind. He is pursuing something. And so he's going to do everything in his power to to, To position himself for what he is pursuing you want this to abide in your life you want the blessings to be in your life you want the anointing to be in your life then demonstrate to God that you want it not by sitting back and waiting on him by you doing something you're making up your mind. If the only time you ever fast is when there's a church fast, you will never reach the level God has for you. The only time you ever do extra and above is when everybody's doing extra and above. You will never experience the fullness of what God has for you. The most successful people in this world in all kinds of aspects, all kinds of areas, athletics, business, whatever, they are the people that didn't measure what they did by what everybody else was doing. The greatest of athletes were getting up at the early morning hours when their teammates were still, still in bed, and they, were got, they got a key to the gym, and they were in the gym way before school started shooting foul shots and jump shots and working and working and working. It's not the guys who were just living at a level of mediocrity that make it to the next level and end up making millions on a professional level. It's those that made up their mind. There's some old paths, as Brother Isaac shouted out a few minutes ago, there's some old paths And those old paths always lead to the right place. I can't guarantee you that every new path is going to take you to the right place. But I can guarantee you the old paths will. I can guarantee you that a place of repentance and a place of consecration, a place of dedication, a place of pouring out everything in you and putting it on the altar, I can promise you where that path is going to take you. Watch this, watch this. Verse 13, I'm almost done. And it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. See, that first time they got a cart, yeah, we read it in Chronicles. While it was on that cart, the Bible said, going back to Chronicles, the Bible said they played before God with their might, singing, harps, psalteries, timbrels, cymbals with trumpets. But the problem was they weren't, they weren't transporting the ark the way God had instructed the reason why David could now transport the ark with gladness is because he was doing it God's way. He was carrying it God's way. And so now, it wasn't just a matter of them carrying the ark on a cart and everybody around them dancing, but the Bible says they would carry it six paces. One, two, three, four, five. Five, six, and they would sacrifice, and they would worship, and they'd go another six steps, and they'd do it all over again. And it's my understanding, the entire trip from Obed-Edom's house back to where they took the Ark of the Covenant. One, two, three, four, five, six. And not only did they sacrifice, but the Bible says that David danced before the Lord He danced before the Lord. Not just a little shuffle. He danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. He went from A level of convenience and comfort to say, and now I'm going to go to the other side of this, and I'm going to make sure that I do it the right way. One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifices and worship. I don't know how long they did it every time, but they did it for a while, and then six more steps. It's not good enough to come in and sing one song and have a couple moments of praise and worship, and let's hurry up and get to the next thing that We've got to do so that we can get out of here. Sometimes we need to make up our mind. This is gonna take us a while. One, two, three, four, five, six. And I'm gonna stay right here for a while. I'm gonna give him what he deserves right here for a while. I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna offer something to him, not that's convenient, not that's simple, not that's easy, but I'm gonna give him everything I've got, and when I've given him everything i've got i'm gonna do it all over again and once again i'm gonna give him everything i've got because i've seen the benefit of the presence of god and i want that in my life in the name of jesus in the name of jesus In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, it's not about this moment just tonight right here. But somebody ought to go ahead and start right now engaging his presence. God, I'm not looking for an old, I'm not looking for a new way. I'm not looking for a new trick. I'm not looking for a new method. God, I'm going to give you what's always worked. I'm going to do what's always worked because I want your presence in my life. I need your presence. I want your presence. I need your blessings. I want your blessings. Sounds like a lot, Brother Wright that sounds extreme brother right I don't know is there anything too extreme to have what Obed Edom had in his house is there any price too great to pay to have the blessings of God flowing freely in and through your life is there anything too great that God could ask of you for your house to have the blessings of God resting upon it and flowing through it and touching everything that pertains tains to you kharamush tarbaka ya hekondolo boseye arama haya come on I know we're a little bit out of practice with this but I think somebody needs to get out of your seat tonight and come lay yourself on this altar come present yourself as a living sacrifice God here I am I want your presence abiding in my life I want your spirit abiding in my life I've got to have your presence I'm not just after your blessings of course we want his blessings but God I'm not just after your blessings I want you God just like that tabernacle just like that tabernacle I'm gonna get everything in place I'm gonna get everything prepared I'm gonna get everything in order so that there's some place for the ark to go It didn't start with the ark. It didn't start with the ark. Some of us are waiting on the ark, but we haven't built a tabernacle yet. Some of us are waiting on the ark, but we haven't built the place for it to be put yet. Paul said it this way, What? Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? What that tabernacle that Moses built represented is what you and I now are. We are now that holy place. The holy of holies is now inside of us. That presence that dwelt with that ark in that tabernacle is now what dwells inside of us when we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost oh God if it was just simply your presence if it was just simply your presence being put in the house of Obed-Edom that caused blessings to be poured out upon his family that caused blessings to be poured out upon his household if it was just simply your presence that did that I want your presence in my life God I want your presence in my life. (laughs) Come on, you'll have to fill in the blanks for what it is. But I believe I'm preaching to somebody tonight, more than just one person, that the enemy's got you trying to construct a cart. The enemy's got you trying to figure out a new way to carry God's presence and God's spirit. The enemy's trying to get you to come up with a new gimmick. Surely there's an easier way. I want it, but surely I don't have to go through that effort. I want the presence of God, but surely I don't have to sacrifice and carry it. Surely I don't. But I've come to tell you tonight, God's ways are unchanging. God's patterns remain the same. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. it. The effort and the labor that it took... To carry that ark on the shoulders of men. The work that it took to do that was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. If you want His presence, you're going to have to be willing to carry some burdens. If you want His presence, you're going to have to be willing to walk under the weight of His presence. If you want the blessings of His presence, you got to be willing to carry the load of it. But oh, if you will, oh, if you will, the same blessings that came upon Obed-Edom's house and his household are the same blessings that are going to come upon yours. Is there anybody tonight that who, like the priests, will make up your mind to be a carrier of the presence of God. You're willing to bear the weight and the burden of the presence of God because you understand the importance of it in your life. You understand the need for it. You understand the significance of having it in your life. once again is there anybody like Moses tonight you'll say the same thing to God that Moses said I don't want to go anywhere God without you I don't care how good the opportunity may be I don't care how everything may be lining up and all the stars are coming into alignment if it's if I got to go there without your presence I don't want to go there I carramo Shataya I corromos ataramaia I carramando lo bosheki arrataba I carramando lo moko I don't mean this to be insensitive at all honestly I don't And I'm not doing this to take advantage of the moment or the opportunity. But there's some single folks in here tonight that you're depressed today because it's Valentine's Day and you don't have a valentine. You need to make up your mind, God, I'd rather not have a valentine and have your presence than I would to have a valentine and not have your presence. I'd rather spend my life single and have the ark in my life than to have a companion in the natural but sacrifice the ark obviously I'm not saying you can't have one and you have to give up the other because a bunch of us are married fulfilling some kind of natural desire at the expense of his presence is not worth the sacrifice I don't know how much longer we're going to we're gonna go, but I'm not dismissing at this point. If you reach the point you need to go, you can do so. But as I preached or taught, whatever you want to call it this morning, there's got to be a desire inside of you that says, I'm going after your presence, God, with all of my heart. I'm not just going to pursue you casually. I'm not just going to pursue you half-heartedly One thing have I desired of the Lord And that will I seek after As the heart panteth after the water brook So panteth my soul after thee As I read this morning through the prophet Jeremiah The Lord said You can find me, you're going to find me But you're only going to find me When you seek for me with all of your heart I don't care how much you seek for Him tonight. This isn't the end all. All tonight can be is just a fresh start. All tonight can be is a new beginning. Something's going to have to get a hold of you. You're going to have to make up your mind. God, I refuse to give up without getting what you've got for me. I refuse, God, to live and be satisfied with anything less than all that you have for me. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment and it's not about being caught up in His presence simply for a good feeling it's not about being caught up in His presence just for a, a nice feeling. It's about being caught up in His presence because that's where the potter Jesus, shapes and molds us. Me it's in His presence pray. where the potter shapes us and molds us. More than anything it's abiding I in His presence where He's able to, to work on us and make us I into what He wants want us to be. You. We want you, God, not just what you can give, not just what you can give. Of course, of course, there's a part of us we want what God can give, but there's also a part of us it's not just for what you can give us, God. It's not just your blessings that I'm after, I'm after you. I open up my heart. It's not just what you can give that I'm after, I'm after your presence. I want you, I want you, I want you. And I'm sorry. Oh, yes. When I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. When I forgot that you're enough, take me back to where we started. Take us back. Take us I back to that place, God, where we longed for your you. presence. Take us back to that place, God, where we just wanted to be in your presence. I'm caught up in you didn't have to defenses. give us anything. You didn't have to do anything. We were just content I to just be in your presence. I sit here oh, your feet. Yes. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. And I'm not here for blessings. Oh, uh, you don't owe me anything, Jesus. You don't owe me anything, Jesus. don't, you don't owe me anything. You've done so much already. You're not obligated to me for anything. I just want you, I just want you. I don't want to go anywhere without you. I don't want to do anything without you. I don't want to live without you. I want you, I want you, I want you. I gotta have you. I gotta have you, I gotta have you. not looking for a bargain I'm not looking for an on sale something from you God I'm not just trying to get what I can get from you for the cheapest price possible I present myself as a living sacrifice holy acceptable to you is my reasonable service my reasonable service putting myself and everything I have on the altar before you is my reasonable service. It's my reasonable service if that's what gets me to your presence. It's my reasonable service if that's a part of the process to getting into the place where your presence abides. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Harabo shata yara. Yi kare monde yaya rabu kosata. moronde yeki aya to la bai. Harabo kosse yara We want you Jesus. We want you. We don't want to settle for going through the motions. We don't want to settle for just participating in religious activities, religious exercises. We want you. We must have you. We must have your presence. We must have your presence. We want to live engaged in your presence. We want to live engaged in your presence in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Ekorobos